that's what I call a fig. There's nothing better. That's a three-bite fig. Mmm. Wow. Wow. I think that must be the tree of life right there. Mmm, yeah. Mmm. Mmm. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you have another bite. Oh. That's all. Mm. Here I am sitting on my front porch in Tennessee. It's kind of a rainy day, just a little bit of drizzle, which is good. It makes my hay grow out in the field and my sweet potatoes in the garden. Now, I want to talk to you today about a subject that you heard me talk about before. You've heard Deb talk about, and that's marriage. Marriage is the greatest thing in the world. I mean, I, I can't imagine not being married. I'd, I'd be miserable. I'd be grumpy. I'd be uh, selfish, self-centered. Uh, I'd be ornery if I were not married. Marriage so rounds you out. It so uh, makes you a full person. I once described it this way. I don't want to... I don't want to tear my paper in half. I'll tell you I'll tear half of it in half like this, okay? When God made Adam, he made him like this. And that's Adam. And Adam was made in God's image, but there was some of God's image was not there. So God completed Adam when he made Eve. You put the two together and you've got the full expression of God, the full image. So the lady, I, I guess I accidentally made that a little bit smaller, is not, <laughs> is not less than the man. She's an equal part with him and as important as he is in the image of God. You know, there are things about my wife that, are, that I can't even understand. Uh, it took me years to understand that you'll never understand a woman. There are things that you have to accept by faith. There are things that are strange to me about women. The things, the way they feel, the way they respond to things. Uh, what will upset them? It just won't, wouldn't upset me. Uh, what they, <laughs> some of the ways my wife wants to organize the house the way she wants to uh, <laughs> fix things up, replace things. It just doesn't make any sense to me. But I learned a long time ago, probably not long enough ago, I learned a long time ago that you just have to yield to the feminine side of things because if she's in the image of God, then there's part of God's image I don't have. And it, if she has God's image, then what her expression, her nature is good, even if I can't understand it. And it's needful, even if I don't know what it is. And I have found that in issues, when issues come up, uh, dealing with other people or issues in the church or ministry or even an article we write, when there, when there are different perspectives on things, I have found that quite often her perspective is the more accurate one or the more informed or more uh, reasoned uh, or maybe it's not reasoned, it's, 
it may be it may be an emotional reaction, but it's it's needful. It's 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 what is missing in what I write or what I say or what I would do. And so quite often I I'm I've learned to pause and not be hasty in my way or the highway because my the the fruit of my ministry will be improved by listening to her. Now, there are times I listen to her and I still <laughs> still do it my way because I think it's best. I think she's responding fully emotionally and leaving out the logic. And so there are times we disagree. But we've also learned in disagreeing that uh, she is she is God's child. She's God's creature. And I don't own her. She's not my slave. And I have to be willing to allow her to be human, to be God's child, and express herself even if she's wrong. I have to allow her to fail if, if, she, if indeed she does. And she has to allow me to fail, which I think she's done sometimes. I think she sits back and grins waiting on me to fail. And so I, I learned something from my failure. Now, you know, what would happen, our, our natures are such that when we fail, there's kind of this pride about wanting to cover it up. When we're wrong, we try to interpret it as a different motive or a different outcome of what actually happened. And if someone is writing our case, if we have an enemy in this matter, someone with whom we're contending, then we're more prone to try to cover it up, to hide it and not learn from it because pride makes us want to, to, to be right, whether we're right or not. And so whenever a spouse is not critical in spirit, but is allows the other spouse to fail gracefully without pointing it out, without writing the point, without hammering it in, uh, then it's easier for the other one to admit, okay, I was wrong, you were right, that worked out great. And everyone profits from it that way. So if there's one term, it's two words, but let's put a hyphen in them, call it one word. There's uh, one word that I think is the most important word in marriage. Okay, here it is, goodwill. Having a good will, and that word is a lot bigger than what you think it would be. Goodwill includes love. Goodwill includes patience. Goodwill includes kindness. Goodwill is a predisposition to have the best, seek the best, and realize the best in your spouse or in anyone else. When Jesus came and his announcement was made at birth, God said, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Some of your modern corrupt translations translate that because they didn't understand it. Uh, peace on earth toward men of goodwill <laughs> puts the burden on men to have a goodwill. But that's not what the passage says. It's God has goodwill toward men. Do you realize that most sinners believe that God doesn't have a goodwill towards them? Uh, all of Hollywood believes that God has an ill will. A lot of that comes from some of the preachers they've heard 
uh, some of the sermons they've heard is it makes it look like God is tyrannical and, and uh, despotic in his dispositions and that he is wanting to bring harm to us and just daring us to do something that will prevent him from doing so. But Jesus came with good will. If you have good will toward your children, then you'll be a good parent. If you can train your children to have good will toward one another, then you've got a delightful family. If husband and wife have good will toward each other, good will toward the children, the children have good will, you've got a wonderful family. It's just, it's the epitome of what a family ought to be. You can have other, I, I know a family I'm thinking about in particular, in fact, it's Tom Slayman's family. And uh, Tom, when we moved here, lived in a jacked up school bus, no wheels on it, no motor in it, on uh, about 14 acres down the road here. And he, he was an old hippie, a uh, Vietnam vet. And his wife was an old hippie. And uh, they had uh, five kids, I think it was. One, two, three, four. Four kids. And uh, so I went down to see them. They were all lost, all pot smoking uh, ex-hippies. Even the five-year-olds were smoking pot. And it was a happy family. They spent their days... Uh, hunting deer out of season, uh, growing a little pot and uh, harvesting it, growing some vegetables in their organic garden, discussing politics in a fervent way. And uh, when I met them, they were beginning to have religious discussions. And so they would have fight. They would have, husband and wife would have fights. They would have screaming, cussing, uh, fights, but they'd be making love 30 minutes later. And they both, they all got saved. They all got born again. They're all, that's been 25 years, I guess. They all got saved after a period of time. And uh, T.J. Slayman went on to be a missionary to Thailand. Bob Slayman, the son, was a pastor for a while and uh, a missionary. And he's a hardworking family man now. And uh, the two daughters went on to uh, uh, marry well and uh, have been married to one man and have raised their kids. And so today, when you see them, they are a very loving family. The one thing that family had before they got saved was a goodwill toward each other. Even when they got in a big knockdown, drag out fight, they had goodwill toward each other. They'd cuss each other, but then it's like it didn't mean anything. It was like it was, uh, it was, it was part of their learned expressions. There was no bitterness. That, that's the way to describe it. No bitterness in their uh, fight. It was just a temporary. It was a wrestling match, a, a temporary competition over some issue. But none of them took it personally. And so that goodwill has continued. And old Tom, he's still alive, but in bad shape. The wife's still doing well. She worked for us. Kathy worked for us for years. She was our most faithful, helpful worker. And uh, she finally had to quit to, to take care of Tom full time. He's about my age. Uh, so goodwill is so important. Now, I have before me a couple passages of scripture. 
Now I'm going to read the latter verses, uh, more like the conclusion to these passages first, because these are the things that are usually read and quoted, especially by men. Wives, submit yourselves under your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. How many times have you ladies heard that? And that was in Colossians 3, 18. Ephesians 5, verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves under your own husbands as unto the Lord. And continuing, 533. Nevertheless, let every one of you in, partic in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So these are the passages that are often quoted. Men, sadly, many men have an inferiority complex. Many men, as boys, they never conquer anything. They get married and they've never been successful in anything. They've never been significant in anybody's eyes or their own eyes. And so they get married and this is their chance to find love acceptance and significance. Well, I can see where this is going. And uh, so they place all that burden upon their wives to fulfill their needs and make them feel like supermen, make them feel great, successful. It's an opportunity to have a kingdom when they get married. They never had a kingdom in business. They never, most of them never had a kingdom in property, never owned a piece of property and managed it and conquered it. Uh, never even had a kingdom in a hobby to where they tie flies and everybody loves their flies or make uh, duck whistles or duck calls or do anything that people admire. They just come to marriage without any kingdom. And so all of a sudden, they have a kingdom, they have a, a wife to be subject to them. They have a wife to brag on them, a wife to commend them, a wife to make them feel important. And being human like she is, a lot of times she's thinking more about herself than she is him. So the conflict starts. He feels dissatisfied with the marriage. He wonders if he married the right person. She's dissatisfied with the marriage. She thought she was getting a husband. She got a child. And, <laughs> sorry, man. So, this thing develops into a lot of conflict that half the time ends in divorce. And then the next marriage will end in divorce. And the third marriage will end in divorce. All because the men feel like that the woman is there to meet their needs. Now, let's go back and read the passages before this and see what the context of these words are. In Colossians 3, Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, and long-suffering. This is the foundation of wives submit yourself to your husbands. Every one of us should put on mercy, kindness, 
humbleness of mind, meekness, and long-suffering, forbearing one another, carrying the load ahead of the other person, carrying their burden, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave, also do you. So let's apply that to the marriage he's going to talk about in about seven or eight verses down. Husband, are you long-suffering and forbearing? Wife, are you long-suffering and forbearing with the child you're married to, with the immature man that's not yet uh, uh, reached his full potential? Are you forbearing if you put pressure on him and point out his faults and are discontent until he rises to that level, that marriage will end in divorce for this reason. It takes years for a child to become a man. It takes years for a grown adult to become a man. It's not something you usually marry into. Most men are immature at marriage, as are the ladies. Forbearing one another, forgiving one another. You're going to have to forgive his harsh words. You're going to have to forgive his unkindness, his selfishness. And, sir, you're going to have to forgive your wife. If any have a quarrel against any, and there are times we do. There's times I've had quarrels against my wife. She's had quarrels against me, not, not of late, uh, <laughs> because we've learned not to be so serious about it and have a, a good will that transcends any differences. We just know the differences are not that important anymore. Uh, but if you have a quarrel, forgiving one another as Christ forgave. Uh, that'll take you a long ways. It covers a multitude of sins. And above all these things, put on charity. Now, I didn't say put on love because men will say, I love my wife. Women will say, I love my husband. Let me ask you, are you charitable to your partner? See, the Bible's smart. A lot of the modern translations say, we're going to update that and change it to love. It's not love, it's charity. Are you charitable to your spouse? By what, we do, what do we mean charitable? You know, I've given people things, people I didn't like. I have uh, bought meals for bums that I didn't want to smell of, and I, I didn't want to be seen with necessarily, and I bought their meals. I have given to neighbors that were had caused offense to me, violating my property line, cutting my fences, and yet I act in charity to them. And I didn't, in these cases, I didn't feel love, but I knew the need to be charitable. And so the way I acted towards them was an act of love, an act of charity. You need to be charitable to your wife. Wife, you need to be charitable to your husband just as you are to your children. Uh, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. You know how you can know if you're off course in your marriage? When the peace of God leaves you. You say, but as the, I'm not, the reason I'm not peaceful is because my wife is, is such a problem. Does that affect your peace with God? If it does, then your problem's with God, not with your wife. You see, when Anderson Cooper got after me and Dr. Drew got after me and created false news, uh, 
I was not, it, it was, I didn't like it, obviously. It was disturbing. Uh, it, it made me uh, maybe a little angry, but it didn't change my peace with God. It didn't cause me to not enjoy God's fellowship. That didn't, that didn't translate over to me being out of sorts with God. When your wife, your husband, or a friend is contentious with you, if it takes away your peace, then your spirit's wrong. Your response is wrong. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you're called in one body, and be ye thankful. Uh, you know, here in my, I'm nearly 75 years old. My birthday's October the 17th, if you want to send me a shotgun. Uh, or an AR-15. So I'll be 75 real soon here now. <laughs> and uh, in this older age, one of the most precious things that I have with my wife is she, she's aging, her hair's getting thin, and uh, a little tubby here and there, and, uh, you know, wrinkles and what all. I mean, she's 70 years old. She doesn't look quite that old, but she's 70 years old. But one of the things that really draws a love from me, that really is important to me, is when I look at her and know that she's given her entire life to me. She gave her youth, she gave the middle years, and she's given her the older years. She sacrificed for me. She has... She's just poured her life out for me. And for that, she's precious. For that, she's very dear to me. That's something that you can't, you can't feel when you've been married to somebody five years or 10 years even, uh, probably not even 25 years. That's something that comes after, we'll have our 49th, this may be, what's the date? What's the date? Uh, it's the 21st, I think. 21st. Yeah. Wow, tomorrow, tomorrow is my anniversary. I've got to remember that. I almost forgot that. So our anniversary is coming up, and that's 49 years, just short of 50, I guess. And so it takes, it takes 40 years of marriage. Uh, I can imagine uh, I had an old couple I ate with one time. They'd been married. They're both 80 years old. They'd been married 60 years. And uh, they, were, they were both so feeble, just barely moving. And they were so precious to one another. It was, I'll never forget it. I was a young man, a delightful experience. And a couple of months later, they both died within 24 hours of each other and were both buried together. It was uh, Huffman's were their name, very delightful, old couple. Uh, so you only have that by living with that one person and having them pour out their life. Are you thankful right now? I, I'm sure I was not thankful in, uh, two years into marriage, even five years into marriage. I, I, I doubt I was very thankful at all. I think probably I felt like I was giving her as much as she was giving me, kind of a partnership here, kind of a shared deal. and. We're both getting something out of it, and we're busy working and achieving, and 
raising our first child and getting ready for the second one. And so I think I didn't pause to be thankful. Uh, I don't think I was unthankful in expressions, but I have ability to forget times like that, <laughs> don't you? And so being thankful and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. So let the word of God fill up your heart and mind. Let the word of God be prominent in your very thoughts, teaching and admonishing one another. Do you teach and admonish in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs? Uh, do you sing in, in your home? Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do, do it in word or deed. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Wives, submit yourselves under your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. So that famous passage comes at the end and assumes all that goes before it. So husbands, you know, I have never, let me tell, tell this to the men, I've said it before, I have never in all our marriage, and somehow I was smart enough to know this early, said to my wife, you're supposed to obey me. I've never said to my wife, I'm the head of this house. I always sensed, even when I knew less than I do now, I always sensed that it was my responsibility for her to get her to follow and that if I were the head, as Christ is the head, Christ never beats us. He never uh, makes unreasonable demands. He never, he's so patient with us. He waits on us to see the, the light and walk in it. And so husband is the head like Christ is the head. He's not the head like uh, the Democratic Party wants to be the head of this country. He's not the head like the uh, uh, Putin is the head of Russia. He's the head in that he is the leader, the one who goes first, the one who takes the lead, the one who opens the door, uh, picks her up and carries her across the stream, uh, sees the enemy coming, goes out to meet the enemy. He is the head. He's the one who lays down his life and sacrifice if need be to take care of his wife and his children. So you're the head, even as Christ is the head, and you're the savior of the body. That means you make sacrifices. And then wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Now let's address one issue. And I tell you, we won't have time to get to the other passage, but let's address one issue here before we close. We get letters and we talk with women whose husbands are doing pornography and wanting them to be uh, to fulfill the, their fantasy as a uh, uh, pornographic whatever. In other words, he wants her to come into his darkened world and fulfill his fantasy. When that happens, lady, there's no longer love. You're just you're one of many instruments or tools of his lust. When you do that, it's not marriage any longer. 
you're being used. And some of you have gone down that road because you thought you needed to. You thought you ought to obey him. And I, we've never suggested that any wife obey her husband to be part of his deviancy. Uh, and then there are times when husbands are just unreasonable. I'm thinking about a guy right now. He uh, had a business, but he made his wife and kids work it while he sat in a back room saying he was doing the books, but they caught him looking at his pornography. He was tyrannical with his wife, mean-spirited, uh, breaking things, uh, speaking angrily to wife and kids, creating fear in their hearts. And he quoted well the passage, you're supposed to obey me. Wives, obey your husbands in the Lord. Now, I could go on and on. You know the stories. You, you, some of you have lived them. When should a wife stop obeying her husband? When should she say no to her husband? We, we've had wives write us and say, my husband says that I should stay home on Sunday and go fishing with him instead of going to church, and I refuse to do it, and he's very angry. We write back and say, go fishing on Sunday. Do not go to church. Wives have written and said, I read my Bible. My husband says he wants me to spend time with him, but I need to spend time reading my Bible. What do you think? I say, go put on something sexy and spend time with your husband. So at what point do you stop doing that? You know, it's hard to address every issue here, but, but let me say this. It's a matter of heart and attitude first. Lady, you need to have a heart of surrender and service to your man. You need to have a heart of thanksgiving and honor. Honor your husband. Reverence him. Even if he's a drunk, alcoholic, and a dopehead. It's not him as a person you're to honor. It is his station, his, his position. Like David honored Saul because he was God's anointed. And David would not lift his hand against Saul because he was God's anointed. David waited and suffered hardship, deprivation, threat of his life for years until God brought Saul down. You may be married to a man that needs to be brought down, but it's not your job to do it. Your job is to be an example of a radiant, happy Christian woman. There'll be times when you will need to say no. There'll be times when you'll say, if you lift your hand to that child again, I will call the law. There'll be times when you'll say, what you did in that bedroom means you're going to prison for 20 years. And you call the law and have him put in prison. That's happened many times. And thankfully, I want to say, we have joyfully participated in seeing quite a few men go to prison who were molesting their children. In a shindig in Mississippi about two years ago, my wife, when she arrived on the place, 
had a word of knowledge from God that there was some man there, a father, molesting his children. So in a women's meeting, she publicly declared that to be so. A young girl about 19 came up to her and said, you're talking about my father. He's here, very religious man. And he doesn't molest me anymore, but he's, I found out he's molesting my younger sisters now. And what should we do? And we said, to, well, first of all, you need to go to your mother. She said, our mother knows about it and hasn't done anything. She's forgiven him. She has, uh, she's upset about it, but, and she's disturbed by it, but she's just afraid to do anything about it. And we said, well, then you need to tell her that you're going to the law. And when you do, uh, they're going to want to know from her, how come she didn't stop it? She'll be complicit. So you tell her she's going to have to report him to the law. The woman was a good, is a good woman, very good woman. She was just browbeaten. She was beaten down and emotionally, uh, spiritually, and uh, just lacked the confidence to act. So she acted. She called the authorities. He said, if you do, I will kill myself. So she called the authorities, and uh, they came out to arrest him. And when uh, they knocked on the door, he blew his brains out. We got a letter from that woman just about a week ago, and she thanked us for it and talked about how much better off the family was now without him and how appreciative she was to be set free from those that circumstance. So there are times, lady, when the laws of the land and the will of God supersedes any commandment for you to obey your husband. He says, don't call the law, call him anyhow. Another woman wrote to us, or maybe I talked to her personally, and she said that her son, her husband, was uh, uh, would go to truck stops and rob the trucks while the men was inside, and that he was taking the son along. He just, I think, he just turned thirteen or something, taking him along to stand watch. And she said, I, "He tells me I'm to obey him. What should I do?" I said, "Call the law, and so they can and let them secretly go and catch him in the act and arrest him." There won't be any problem for your son. She did. He's in jail. Another woman wrote or called or talked to her, I don't remember. And she said that her husband was, she thought, a queer. And that he was, I guess, bisexual. And that he had some men company she didn't think was proper. And that he would go to roadside stops to hang out, which is what queers do. And that he had wanted, your son had just turned 13 and he wanted to take the son to the roadside stops with him. What should she do? He's in prison now too. I'm very proud of those, like I'm proud of a successful marriage. I'm proud of those times that we're able to get those perverts arrested. So lady, get bold. If your husband is doing things that are illegal, now, wait a minute, I gotta stop. Some of you say, well, he's cheating on his income tax. That's not what we're talking about. Or he uh, he's brought some paper home from work. He's not supposed to bring paper home and some pens. 
We're talking about stuff that's immoral, godless, and we meet with the disapproval of society as a whole, something very depraved. If he's doing things like that, then report him to the law. Do it in a quiet way so that they can get the evidence on him and he can be put away and he won't be coming back into your home. Uh, just recently, somebody wrote and said that uh, there, uh, you know, I don't remember the details, but there, it was in a church where the man was molesting uh, and the church, the woman went to the church and the church had a little talk with him and forgave him. And he was ongoing and they were counseling with him and his perversions continued. And she said, what should she do? And she said the church was ostracizing her because of her vocal about it. I said, report him and report the church. Uh, so why do I talk about these things is because being a homeschooler and in a Christian church is not exempt you. Statistics say that one in seven senior pastors admit to using pornography. One in five youth directors in churches admit to being addicted to pornography. That's just the ones that admit to it. And child molestation is extensive even among pastors and Christian workers. So we live in a Sodom and Gomorrah and it's vexing my righteous soul from day to day by their ungodly deeds. And yours has been vexed too. Don't cover up in, in our midst. Don't cover up in the name of, of uh, reclaiming them, in the name of forgiving them. Don't cover up illegal sins of people in your midst. Expose them. Now, if your husband gets very angry at this message, you better find out why. <laughs> All right. Now, I know that's negative, but let me say this in closing. Uh, around us here are some of the young couples who got married, and some of them are doing so well. Uh, uh, there's one young fellow I'm thinking about right now, uh, very handsome fellow, very beautiful wife, uh, just about the prettiest couples you'd ever want to see. Uh, they, I don't know how they found each other, they paired up, you know. And they made the prettiest babies you'll ever see in the whole wide world. And they both have been growing in the Lord. And he's been uh, ministering and uh, is going out ministering on the streets, has been involved in other ministries, and uh, just is opening up and blooming and growing. And, and uh, they're making a beautiful couple who are destined to a life of service and ministry. Uh, I, I could name a dozen right around that I know of close by that have gotten married, but I also know some that didn't do well at all. So girls, guys looking for a spouse, don't just jump into something, get to know them. Spend time before you get romantically involved, spend time working's the best way. Let that guy come work with your daddy if he's got a job where you can hire him. Let him work for six months. Let your daddy get to know him. Uh, and your brothers and sisters get to know him, and your friends get to know him. Uh, there's times you can't do that. So what you do then is you, uh, if the relationship is developed, let your brother 
Go live with the guy for a while. Hang out with him. Go on vacation with him. Meet his friends. Your friends, friends won't hide stuff like the, you know, like the individual can. A guy can hide stuff. So get to know them in uh, whatever way you can by spending time, having friends spend time, brothers and sisters spend time, family spend time. Go to their church with them. Talk to the people. Go out afterwards. Hang out. See how people talk, how they relate, where their heart is. Get into their house. Get into their bedroom. Careful. And see what's hanging on the wall. Uh, look in their movie collection. Get to know them before you make an emotional commitment to someone. All right, I know you guys, uh, it's kind of been kind of dark what I said, but uh, it's cloudy today. And it's cloudy in this country. Uh, and the church is cloudy. And so uh, I just, I want to warn you, I don't, there's so, such a chance for, for pit, pitfalls. But it can be so good. My kids are, uh, all happily married and uh, all uh, having wonderful kids. In fact, most of the children and grandkids are better trained than my kids were. And so it's, it's going well. We're doing well here and uh, we want the best for you as well. Later. Most YouTube viewers know Michael Pearl through his Revelation chart and books on the end times, but some of Pearl's most beloved books are written on the subject of marriage. Created to be his helpmeet, written by his wife Debbie, is sold worldwide in multiple languages and is an international bestseller. Created to need a helpmeet, the hidden helpmeet, and others have also been a blessing to many. All these books and more can be found at the Pearl's website, ngj.org.